Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com. And follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview style podcast focused on demystifying, raising, and investing capital for MedTech companies. We have two events coming up this year our Midwest Showcase in Cleveland, Ohio, August 30th, and our Startup Symposium in Houston, Texas, October 25th and 26th. For more information on both events, check them out on our website. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability, on automated test systems. With customers all over the world, Valentium works with clients in every stage and situation, ranging from startups seeking funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit valentium.com to explore your next steps in medical device development. In this episode, our guest Lindsay Watson at Augment Therapy and I discuss gamifying therapy, remote patient monitoring, and remote therapeutic monitoring, their partnership with CareSource, her relationship with Sesame Street, go-to-market strategy, culture, the relationship between co-founders, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Lindsay Watson. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Lindsay, a brief introduction um, for the uh, listeners into who you are, what you currently do, and maybe your background to, to get you where you are now. Sure. I am a physical therapist by trade. I have been practicing for over 20 years now. I'm reluctant to share that information as I get older and older. Um, But I really, it was my years of working in both pediatrics and the adult care environments that really brought me to starting Augment Therapy. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Augment Therapy. What we do is we basically build gamified exercise content, and we couple that with computer vision to capture objective data while patients feel they're immersed in a gaming environment. And then we have virtual care-enabled features also. So we can run a synchronous telehealth session, or we can remote monitor. And um, really, I'm I'm sitting here today because I, I daydreamed just enough uh, during work hours and was frustrated just enough that I decided to get busy and start solving some of those problems. 
Very cool. <clears throat> so you are, you're located in Cleveland, is that right? Yes, we're located in Cleveland. Awesome. Born and raised here. Very, very cool. Um, so yeah, my wife is a uh, physical therapist as well. Um, and so when I showed her uh, your technology, uh, she thought it was super cool. So um, I was like, well, then I gotta get, I gotta get Lindsay on the podcast to talk about this. Um, so uh, how big is the company um, current, currently right now? Um, and then like in terms of fundraising stage, have you raised a seed, a series A, or where are you at there? We've, we have five full-time employees and then we have five that are part-time or very, very part-time independent contractors. And uh, we have uh, closed a seed round and we're actually just this week opening up another round which we're calling a seed extension or a seed two round um so we're we're doing that this week and um yeah it's been a great ride wild but great ride <laughs> yeah very cool and to timestamp this because you know this could be released <clears throat> weeks later uh it is it's march 14th um, oh, so, yeah. so, uh, yeah, that's, that's important to mention. Um, yeah. but, uh, okay. Very cool. Um, that's very exciting. Um, so can you tell me, um, a little bit about <clears throat> what you learned from, I want to get into remote, remote patient monitoring. And, um, uh, there was one other term we had talked about remote patient therapeutic, I think is what it is. Yeah. Remote um, monitoring. Yep. Yes. So I want to touch on those two things. Um, but I'm curious, as an entrepreneur, first time entrepreneur, up until this point now, what were some of those critical things or lessons learned along the way? I'd, like, I'd love to hear about the hard lessons you've learned. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe, or, sorry, the lessons you've learned the hard way, but then also mm -hmm. the things that you got right and, and you just, you, you hope every startup knows that you really need to consider this. Oh, where do I begin for this one? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'd say I went into it. I started this really thinking it would be a side hustle and it would be, you know, not so hard and um, that if fame and fortune would happen really quickly and not that and pretty easily. And boy, was I ever wrong. Um, I had no idea how long it would take. Uh, really to build something and not only to build it, but also just to change human behavior. You know, for example, in the rehab industry, m my industry, we're still very reliant on our hands and we're still very reliant on the business model of a patient is brought to us in a clinical setting. We give you a paper handout of exercises you're supposed to do at home. We don't know if you actually do it, but we're incentivized to stay in this model of, you know, bring your patient to us and we'll treat you for months on end. And um, and that's really how we're paid. But the, the problem I felt was, particularly for people with chronic conditions, that that formula just didn't work anymore. And uh, the process that I've learned as an entrepreneur was you know r really what 
uh, held me back from starting the company earlier because I, I would daydream about how I would solve these problems that I was experiencing daily. Um, but I kept, I was really latched on to this, that I don't have an MBA, um, that I am a physical therapist, I should stay in my lane. And uh, I didn't start it because of all those kind of beliefs that I had in my head for why I wasn't uh, qualified to do it. However, once I got out and started the business, what I learned was the fact that my language that I speak is the medical uh, voice and the medical language, that that gave me an, an advantage in the market. And all the things that I felt were shortcomings were actually blessings in disguise and strengths in disguise. So uh, I really would kind of tell people out there not to fear um, the unknown, because really, you could be far more advantaged in the market than you think in the first place. Yeah, <clears throat> that's great advice. And the reason I like to ask this too is, so often we talk to entrepreneurs, especially the first so many episodes of this. It was a lot of entrepreneurs who had been there, done that. Maybe they're on their second, third, fourth. We talked to a guy who's on his eighth venture, right? And, and, and um, when you're at the end of your journey, sometimes it's really hard to reflect on what were the sticky points or how I got to here, right? Um, and so I've been really trying to emphasize that question for companies who are at a seed round, at a seed plus round, who are earlier on their journey because it's so fresh, right? Um, it's 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 very similar to like um, uh, <clears throat> having a having a kid, right? Like we at work, my my wife and I are expecting our second. Um, and our first is two and a half years old and six months after the birth of our first, if you said, are you, you know, are you going to have a second? I'd have been like, heck no. Right. Like I'm sleep deprived. This is terrible. I'm going through the fight right now. But then two and a half years later, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. It's easy. Right. And so I love yeah. to talk to people who are like, in the thick of it right now. And so I, I, I love the advice you just gave there. Um, so, so, so tell me about, let, let's kind of break this down. R remote patient monitoring, remote therapeutic monitoring. What is the difference? Uh, you know, we, we talk, we've talked about RPM codes frequently on the podcast, but, but, but never the, 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 the latter. And so I'd love to learn about what the difference is. Um, and, and let's just start there for now. Yeah, remote therapeutic monitoring codes were introduced in January of 2022. So they're really new. Um, and these codes are really designed for physical, occupational therapists like myself. They can be leveraged by physicians and um, the support staff of the physicians. Um, but they're really designed for clinicians like myself, and they're designed to help offset the costs of these digital tools that are designed to monitor patient adherence and performance outside of their uh, in-person sessions. They're designed to also capture um, things like musculoskeletal data as well. Um, that's the data that those codes need to uh, need to be capturing and, and reflecting. 
And so there's supply code for the remote therapeutic monitoring. There's an education code. And then there's the timed codes month to month that a clinician like me can bill for time spent reviewing the data um, that is captured from medical device uh, uh, um, category solutions. So you just simply have to meet the FDA's definition of a medical device. You don't have to be FDA regulated, uh, but you do have to meet the definition of a medical device. And um, so that's that's really the the uh, description of those codes. Very cool. So so remote, remote patient monitoring was out before this. <clears throat> was the intention that that your product was going to take advantage of those? Was that kind of your reimbursement pathway initially? And, and then this one opened up and now you have multiple? Yeah, initially we were thinking, okay, this is, we have to make ourselves fit in that box. Um, but it was a challenge because really, usually physical therapists are in the same tier as other qualified healthcare providers that usually were bundled in with a lot of the physician codes as well. Um, we were left out of that original language for remote patient monitoring. And so there was a lot of back and forth figuring out there were there was talk in the market of using modifier codes and all those things to make those codes work for my population. I think eventually, you know, all those entities, CMS really listened that this type of coding structure is needed for providers like myself, and then they implemented them. Very cool. And, and so um, these come out in 2022. I, I'm curious, obviously, leading up to this, <clears throat> you had you identified a huge problem, right? Um, it, it was a pain point for you as a user, you're on the inside track there. Okay, then you go to that next step. And you start thinking about, okay, great. Well, you know, the number one thing that you have to answer as a medical technology is who's going to pay for this, right? And so um, <clears throat> I'm curious on how because because a lot of startups answer that question really early on or attempt to, um, but then it can change like in your scenario. So maybe walk me through as like that startup, your, your reimbursement plan or your who's paying for this. You're, you're thinking about this and all of a sudden you get handed another alternative to this. Right. And so mm -hmm. how do you pivot? How do you think about that? How do you evolve as an early startup that along with the thousand other things you have to deal with, but, but now you have more <laughs> good things to deal with. So kind of walk me through that process of maybe like changing paths or is it a parallel path for you or how you think about that? We, we try to be a startup that's again, not always focused on all the new shiny things. And so we've tried to stay steadfast and true to our core mission, which from day one, our core mission has really been engaging complicated patients in exercise. And for us, initially, we thought that meant just pediatrics. Uh, what we realized was what we were great at were complicated chronic patients. And it wasn't just confined to the pediatric age range, that it worked into adulthood as well. And that's what we were best at. What we've done from day one has always been to look at, you know, what each segment of the market values 
and then work backwards to that on who we're selling to and how we're pricing things appropriately. Have we figured all of that out? No, because the market definitely seems to adjust a lot and COVID just changed everything. Uh, where we now, you know, my industry as a whole initially shut down for a short period of time because we had no enabled features to allow us to treat remotely. And so then we started using tools that were designed really for video conference for boardroom meetings and everything. And so we had to shift with the times. And what we've had to learn is that each stakeholder is driven by different things and they all to some degree have some overlap, but many of them conflict. And that's been really challenging for us um, to deal with. We haven't figured it all out yet, um, but we're recognizing that the value that we deliver, we're, our goal has always been to really be that quadruple aim, you know, improve the experience, improve the outcomes and lower the cost of care um, and make the experience for the patient and provider part of our objective. But hitting that quadruple aim is like climbing to the top of Mount Everest. Um, so we do try and prioritize um, which we're going to do first and we prioritize providers first um, and got some early data. And now we're starting to address that payer as well. And um, that's been the direction we're, we're starting to go. So, so tell me, um, <clears throat> when, when did you receive FDA approval um, for your product or clearance? Sorry. Yeah. So if we're in a, really great category that actually does not need FDA approval. You just need to meet the definition. And we're in this category that is exempt, uh, but the FDA does have the purview to exercise enforcement discretion. And so we've chosen to take the pathway of embedding all of the stringent guidelines um, and all of those pathways embedded into the ground floor so we're ready when that day comes um, but we're in this unique category right now very cool love what you said there too this is something we we talk about frequently because a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes even investors who are coming into the med tech space gets so wrapped up in FDA approval and this or that. And it's like, are you putting a good quality product on the market? If you're putting a quality product on the market, all of this other stuff will just fall into place. And um, I just like what you said there about saying, hey, we're, we're doing all the things we have to be doing should that day come, right? So um, I love that. Um, okay, so uh, you are, tell me a little bit about this commercial plan too. I want to get to the bigger news um, that that I, I told you I saw on LinkedIn, and we'll we'll get to that piece. Um, but on the commercial side of things, um, when you so you start to make the product, was this like a shotgun approach? We want to try to get everybody use this tomorrow, or was this a hey, let's get this with some friendlies, get some feedback, make some adjustments, figure out where the sticky points are, and then go from there. Because I, I and I ask this question because there are 
some who go with that shotgun approach, and then there's others that go with this rifleman's approach and, and really start to figure out, okay, here's some friendlies who've had it, here's some adjustments we're going to make, and, and you kind of build from there and then have a successful larger commercial launch. Maybe talk, walk me through a little bit of what your strategy was and how you did it. Our strategy really was to focus on a portion of the market first. And so we wanted to do more of an iterative process and start simple and start in that confined use case and then expand out from there. Uh, so we really, we started at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital and a couple other smaller locations. And we started with the mindset of that the providers were really our um, keys to getting it right. And we listened very closely to everything they said, good and bad, and tried to put on our, our tough skin um, to get through that. We're still there, really. We listen very intensely to what is shared with us. Um, and that's really where we chose to go and how we chose to start. And um, then once we've learned how to get it right, then we've started opening up the use cases a little wider, a little wider. Um, and that's really been our strategy from day one. Very cool. So tell me about the big news that we saw on LinkedIn, or sorry, I saw on LinkedIn that I asked you about right before the call, because um, it seemed like from the from the <clears throat> um, outside and and. Yeah, I'm familiar with with your technology, your company. I mean, we've we've talked in the past, so uh, I'm kind of following it a little closer. But uh, I, you know, just let the listeners know what the big announcement was and what that means. Yeah, we were really excited to recently announce that we um, have entered into a partnership with CareSource, um, which is a nationally recognized managed care plan. Um, and they're actually founded in Ohio as well, just like us. And um, we actually met the CareSource team when we were invited to an event um, by a family member of one of the patients that had been using our software at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. And this event at the Capitol was a disability uh, advocacy, uh, developmental disability and advocacy day at the Capitol where they get to come, people with a variety of disabilities get to come and speak with um, politicians uh, and inform some decisions going forward for uh, how policies are cultivating created. And it was at that event, we kind of had a, a line out the door <laughs> of people waiting to try the software and we were kind of the the hit of the event and uh, we were causing a ruckus and CareSource ended up coming over and seeing it in action with so many different, I think we did something like 48 demos in a two hour time period with all different ages and ability levels, both physical and cognitive. and. Um, that started those conversations with CareSource, and and now uh, we're moving forward with uh, some pilots that will be supported by CareSource in Ohio, and uh, we're really excited. They're a great team to work with, and uh, it's been a great process uh, from the start. Yeah, that's super exciting. So uh, flashing forward, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're opening up 
<clears throat> the seed extension round or seed plus round. Um, what is that money you're raising there? What's the goal? Is it to continue to expand commercial um, traction? Is there like a version two product in the background? I mean, what, what, what's next for Augment Therapy? Whew. Well, we we have, um, <laughs> <laughs> where do I begin? Um, well, yeah. we have, our first off is really to start capturing some deeper data. We have some initial feasibility research and we have some research that is ongoing right now in a variety of different locations, but we want to get at some deeper data um, that really shows our impact on outcomes, total cost of care, satisfaction, all of those things are our are, are goals for um, those funds. We also want to start to, we really have done little to no marketing at this point and all of the traction and customer relationships that we have, we've gotten through participation in tech accelerators as well. So we want to start amplifying the message. We also want to further our product development as well with uh, addressing patients of all ages, but also, and I am allowed to share this, we've been working with Sesame Street for a year and a half. And we have, wow. um, yeah, Elmo and Cookie Monster do exercises in our software right now. And um, we're lucky to be one of the very few companies that Sesame Street is choosing to work with. Um, Sesame Workshop, I should be I should correctly say, in the healthcare uh, environment. And um, we want to expand into more exercises uh, with Sesame Workshop. So uh, we get to do that with those funds. So they've also wow. been an awesome team to work with. They really are masters of engagement. And so we're just uh, learning a ton from them. Yeah, congratulations. Um, I want to pick on one thing, uh, not pick on, but ask for, for, for more clarification on, it, it sounds like you know, you've brought up clinical data and outcomes and the importance of collecting those things frequently, you know, in, in an industry where we see a lot of like me too products out there on the market, ones that are very similar to something else out there, marginal improvement, um, and they're just looking to sell and capture market share. Sometimes you see a lot of companies that really don't put a lot of time into collecting that clinical data because of the risk that your device actually isn't as good as it says it is, right? Um, and that happens sometimes. And so maybe mm -hmm. just give the, give the listeners a little insight into to why you've made that choice to say, no, we want that clinical data. Um, because we think we are going to make a huge difference in, in these these patients, the healthcare system, uh, uh, insurance, clinicians, all these things. You're going to make a difference in their lives and the importance of, of why you've kind of set out on that truck to say, yeah, we're going to collect this data. It's really important. Well, for us, we, we kind of feel like we have two challenges. The first one is that we say, you know, exercise, physical therapy, all of those things are well-validated interventions. So there is a multitude of data that shows that they have an impact on length of stay, readmissions, uh, opioid consumption, uh, complications from uh, inpatient stays. All of these things have been proven over and over and over again. 
what hasn't been proven is really getting people to stick to those regimens. People don't want to do it. And that's what I think really why we've chosen the path we've chosen. Um, it's imperative that we have some data to back it up because um, the other companies are big, huge players in the musculoskeletal space, and they're targeting uh, adult uh, geriatric patients that are orthopedic in nature, usually very short episodes of care. Um, and the paradigm that they're using doesn't work well for those chronic patients um, and for pediatrics. You really can't say to these patients, go do three sets of 10 of this exercise and make progress. Um, and the vast majority of the patients that I treated for so many years had multiple comorbidities. They were frequent flyers. They had a lot of things going on. And the, even though those big players have figured out that the problems um, in the market do relate to access to care and convenience of care consumption. What they haven't recognized is that um, the experience of care is boring and monotonous and nobody wants to do it. And so that's what we're solving. And we're solving for a unique piece of the market, which I think actually re represents the majority. Um, and they're just solving some of the problems. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, so Lindsay, another question for you. Uh, I think I asked this earlier, but first time entrepreneur, correct? Oh yes. Uh huh. First time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I'd love to get, um, maybe your advice for other first time entrepreneurs out there on a very specific piece of this, right? So we hear frequently from investors that, yeah, you know, a bonus, a bonus point for an investor is, hey, if they've been there, done that, it makes investing in them pretty easy to do it again, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's, there's, there's a few things that um, can like almost like jump you right to the top of a pile uh, if, mm -hmm. if, if investors are looking at investing your company because team is the number one thing and problem, right? Solution mm -hmm. is like, a little bit further down the list. It's problem and team. Yeah. And so if yeah. you have a team that's been there, done that, and has that experience, right, that's going to elevate you rather quickly. For a first-time entrepreneur, though, right, um, how do you, for, for, for raising capital, we'll start with the raising capital piece. Yeah, how do you come off to an investor of, hey, look, I know this is my first time, this is why I'm the best person for this, right? When you don't have anything to really necessarily stand on other than your interactions with that individual and the problem you're solving. Well, I, I often convey, like, never underestimate the power of feeling a problem personally. Um, and even though I lack experience on paper, the fact that I felt the problem know the inner workings of the industry is is worth its weight in gold. Um, and that has been something that has really given us an edge in the market, uh, not to mention the fact that I'm a provider leading the team as well. So I've been obsessed with the end game, really. Um, and the end game being the customer's usage of the product as more often than not, those that are experienced, 
though they may have business experience in building tech companies, they may not have the expertise on what the end game actually is uh, with the consumer, with the healthcare provider, with the patient. Um, and so that I, I would definitely tell people out there not to underestimate the knowledge that they do have. Um, another benefit for us too, the fact that I'm a first time found, founder has been that because I don't know traditionally the ways things should be done, I will blast through doors that I don't know are actually in my way. Um, and that's an awesome power that I didn't recognize. So, you know, normally some people may not want to go down the road of, you know, let's say SOC 2 certification because it's a pain in the butt and it costs a lot of money. Um, but I, you know, I hear it a few times from a hospital that this is really what you need in order to get through our system. And I blaze forward with it. Um, there's nothing wrong with inexperience in that way. Um, also, however, I would also say to anyone out there that there there is something to be said for uh, expertise and experience. And so I've always kind of not been afraid to hire above me and collect people above me and rise to the room. Um, so I have awesome business advisors from all different organizations in our region and from outside the region. And I like to collect these people and I ask them questions a lot. I'm not afraid to look dumb and ask to maybe dumb questions and hire people that know things I don't know. And um, so that's really kind of been our, our strategy from day one. I love that. Um, I, I use a very similar term, which is surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's all I've tried to do at Project MedTech is just surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Um, mm -hmm. So I, 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 I love that point. Um, okay, another, another first time entrepreneur question. Um, mm -hmm. I am also a first time entrepreneur. And so something that I have been obsessive about is um, culture um, mm -hmm. and, and, and almost like learning about what makes good culture, the different ways to go about it, how do you, you know, hold people accountable, how do you institute, how do you lead by example, all these different things about culture of the company, because it matters, right? Like, uh, I, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, so I understand the importance of team, but most importantly, team dynamics, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And how people interact. And you, you could see this across all sports. I mean, you can't just throw a bunch of all-stars on a team and, and win. I mean, eventually talent will fall short and team chemistry takes over. And so I'm curious from your side, what was one thing as like a entrepreneur that it, coming into this, you said, I need to get better at this, or I'm going to be obsessive about this. Yeah, I, there's, I had so much to learn. Um, and I'm still learning, um, about, you know, managing a team. I, I lean very heavily on people around me to do it effectively. I read a ton. Um, I'm pretty much an obsessive reader and I'm always, I feel like I have one eye forward and one eye behind us. And then the other eye is always on self-improvement and team improvement. Um, so I'm always yeah. trying to, you know, level up. Um, but 
I, I definitely feel like we've always tried within our company to kind of keep a kind candor to borrow from, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk that said kind candor really is the key to a successful business um, internally uh, and outwardly, really. And so we always do have that policy. My co-founder and I uh, have been now working on this together for six years. And we, whenever we start to feel friction between us, we have a sit down and it's much like a marriage in many ways where we have to have it out together and get back on the same page. Because if we're not on the same page, then that friction kind of trickles down to everybody. Um, but I'd say our whole team has, uh, we try to, you know, always stay very purpose-driven. We're a purpose-driven company. With, so we listen to the stories of the use case of the software as well. And that really drives and motivates us. We tease each other. Um, I feel like a company where you can't joke around a little bit also is probably a sign of something not so good. Uh, so we do, yeah. we do tease each other. Um, but, yeah. and I try to in inject a little after into each meeting whenever possible. So I don't know, still working on it though. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So in, 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 in closing, um, we will have your LinkedIn uh, hyperlink to the uh, show notes here. We'll have uh, Augmented Therapies website so people can check that out, that out as well. Uh, is LinkedIn a pretty good spot for people listening in that want to get a hold of you? Are you pretty active on LinkedIn? I, that's probably the one I'm most active on. I don't like the other platforms quite as much. So link, LinkedIn yeah. works yeah. for us. You know, reach out to me, reach out to the company. We do monitor yeah. it. And um, yeah, love to hear from anyone. Awesome. All right, Lindsay, I really, really appreciate this. This was a really good episode uh, with lots of great information in it. Uh, hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. But thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.